You are listening to Lesbians on Screen, a podcast that looks at lesbian and queer women on big and small screens. This season, we are delving into the global phenomenon of Juliantina. I'm Sheena. My pronouns are she, her. Hi, everyone. Excited to be here. Monica McCowan. My pronouns are she, her as well. And I am a lesbic author and Juliantina superfan and aficionado, I guess, which is why I was invited to be on this podcast. But uh, extremely excited to, to get to relive one of my favorite fandoms that I've ever been a part of. Okay, Monica, so we have officially finished watching the show, but now we have some interesting topics to discuss. It's kind of a wrap-up show that we're doing today. We're talking about unanswered questions, overriding themes, the queer rep that they chose to show, the perfect ending, where to from here, and recommendations for people who are missing the show and want to get their fix somehow. Welcome to the final episode. Yeah. <laughs> Alright, so let's look at some unanswered questions first. Let's ease into this. The first one is, what did Ava actually do? So I actually looked this up because what we see is not what she's up to, right? So what she actually was doing was laundering money for the drug cartel. So her boyfriend was like her connection to this drug cartel and she was laundering money through the Carver Hall businesses. So she was putting all family's businesses in jeopardy. I don't actually know how they survived that, frankly. Wouldn't the law shut them down? I mean, I think at a certain point you... Look, if we can suspend reality for them all (laughs) switching bodies, maybe we can suspend reality. And I, you know, I don't know how it is in South Africa, but people do a lot of stuff in the United States and very, very rarely see jail time for it. You, like, pay a fine. Wealthy people see very little jail time for it. So the fact that... Ava went to jail as opposed to getting away with it. Is I was that surprised me. Well, you know what? I think if she hadn't gone to jail, I don't think it would have felt right. Especially in fiction, we want to see just desserts being served. We want to make sure that the bad guys end up where they should be. You know, that justice does prevail, even if the real world's a little flawed that way. Yeah. But because there was so much in this show and we saw so much of the characters and, you know, we didn't see as much as Ava except a lot of bad things when she crossed over into the storyline of Juliantina. I mean, she's kind of a flawed, complex character, too. So I get that she went to jail, but I think, you know, part of what the show kind of was trying to do and I think for some characters it fell a little more flat than others just because of the things they had done to Juliantina uh, that maybe we weren't as willing to let go of I think you know they tried to redeem her but yeah I think part of that is her suffering consequences bravely for what she did so that she can maybe start fresh after all of this and I think that that's fair I think consequences should be something that that people have to deal with we can have a whole conversation about i mean i get it like you know if you can get away with something or if you have the chance to get out of something i get why people take it but yeah consequences are what encourage you not to do something again the feeling of like shame If it's, you know, if it's warranted for doing something that you shouldn't have done, like saying something mean to somebody or, you know, you feel that because it doesn't feel good. 
And that's supposed to like prime your body to not want to do that again. So I think, yeah, I think those things are very, very important. So whose child did Ava end up carrying? The show doesn't actually uh, answer the question. Ava confesses at one point to Alacran, who's the, the, what did we call him? He's a Sicario, like a hitman and the head of the cartel. But we had a... Oh, oh, Soul Patch. Soul Patch, that's it, yes. So Soul Patch, that she doesn't actually want to have children when she confesses that she's pregnant, but he threatens her and tells her that he wants to be her the official father of her baby. I hate him. I didn't think I could hate him more, but apparently I could. So it seems like they both think that he's the father. Yeah, but I mean, that brings up a really interesting conversation because she doesn't stay with him and he's not a part of the baby's life. Like she, I think we are led to assume, you know, because she's still in prison at the end when they do the two year jump, um, that she had the baby in jail and the baby went with somebody and that somebody is Mateo, her husband or ex-husband. So I would like to believe that he is actually the father. As a, it's an interesting comment though, right? So because as a lesbian, my whole thing, you, you have to kind of look at parenting differently to heterosexual couples or uh, many right. heterosexual couples because we can't genetically have kids through both of us. So how much does genetics actually matter? Oh, just because I'm petty and I think it would piss Alacran off. <laughs> Yeah, no, genetics absolutely doesn't matter. Like, that kid is getting the best chance in the world to be a happy, well-adjusted member of society, even though, you know, their mom is in prison. Um, And yeah, no, I I totally think that's a fair comment about nature versus nurture. I've actually, I've been reading, I don't tend to read a lot of books with parents or going through the process of parenthood and I've been reading a lot more lately so this is very on my radar right now being a parent is just not of interest to you though me personally yeah no no so you wouldn't gravitate towards books like that unless you're searching for like why on earth would somebody want to be a parent yeah I mean but I think I like Sometimes I like to read stories exactly the way I want to read them. You know, young 20 or 30 somethings who are just running around messing their own lives up because they're idiots. That's like, you know, my brand of books I like to read. But as a a writer and a reader who's read a lot of those types of books already, you know, you do eventually just organically start to branch out even from the perspective of like wondering what all the fuss is about. And I feel that way. I don't tend to read age gap romances or yeah, like single parent romances. And those all tend to fall within the contemporary romance umbrella. So I am starting to branch out. And then if like, you know, there's a, an author that I like, that's a lot of the ways how I like slide in the side door to these other tropes that I don't tend to read. If I know that I like the author, I'll read the book regardless. That makes sense. It's so funny because I used to only, I'm not going to say only, I used to predominantly read uh, romance novels, contemporary romance novels, because I was at the age where, like I was coming to terms with my own self and contemporary romances are a great way to come to terms with your inner lesbian because it normalizes it. 
And so I used to read like just tons of predominantly contemporary romances in the lesbian sector. And then I just got to a point where I was just like, okay, I'm done. I'm done. I just actually can't anymore. I've read so many now that I just, like if I have to read another of the exact same kind of sex scene, I'm going to die. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't feel that way at all. I totally get And it's good. You doing what you do as, you know, a sorcerer of all things lesbic. It's good that you have a more expansive palette. But for me, as a contemporary romance writer, reading and loving to read in the genre I also love to write in is perfect. And I haven't got tired of it yet. And there's always holiday books coming out and new authors popping up. So it's good. Absolutely. And more power to anybody who can stick it out. Yeah, I, you know, and it takes all kinds, like maybe I'll get there. But I think that in terms of the accessibility of different media, with television and movies, I think they tend to have more sci-fi or spec fic or fantasy plots with like a romantic subplot. So if I'm watching a TV show, it's probably going to have those things anyway. The only place that I really feel like I can get lost just binging to my heart's content of contemporary romance, lesbian love stories is in books. And Tina. And yeah, but uh, elements of mysticism. Yes, but in this storyline, it was kind of sideline elements of yeah, but it's, their actual story was a contemporary romance. But it's still a part of the show. And, sure. like, you know, I loved the runaways and their superheroes in that. Winona Earp was way hot. There's demons in that. Lost Girl, again, like, demonic, orphan black, spec fic with, like, what if we could clone people? I mean, I think really, and you can argue about whether it's a good show or not, but The L Word is still the only show that did contemporary romance just about their lives. Absolutely. I love The L Word. I loved The L Word Generation Q as well. Oh yeah, I wonder when that's coming back. I hope it does, because I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a really good evolution. It did get renewed. Did it? Oh, fantastic. I mean, don't, like, quote me on that, but I feel like I remember that happening. Okay. All right, so let's dive back to the unanswered questions. We, at one point, were wondering, is Chivis psychic? So I actually looked that up, and yes, she is, in fact, psychic. It's not something we saw much of in the, the main plot, but she does have mild psychic abilities. Yeah, I think she had a bigger plot with, like, Hakobo and... Lucia, and she was kind of running around in their world. Yeah. I'm very meh about Chivis. Well, there just was a question that we asked, and we never actually answered in the show, so we're wrapping up right, properly, right. Monica. <laughs> yeah. Okay, let's talk about overriding themes. So there were two main overriding themes in the Julian Tina plot itself, which was meant to be, and the sort of destiny taking a hand in plans and overcoming homophobia were there any others you picked up on no I think there's a lot of kind of ancillary or other 
themes just but they all kind of bleed into those central themes you know gaining confidence in yourself understanding what you want out of the world and I think you know for both of them that was for them to be with each other but it was very much like a new adult coming of age story absolutely yeah it's interesting for me that because we don't actually explore the concept of meant to be together very often in things like TV. You'll get it in movies, but TV doesn't tend to explore it very much. And I just thought it was a really interesting, like literally death, destiny, whatever, took a hand in their romance. Yeah. So I think that a big part of why you can't do that on US TV shows is because they're so fickle with season by season and how things change. Like Huli and Tina and Amara Muerte was on TV and it was a television novella, but I think the novel part is more important than the television part because it was telling a cohesive story and even though it ran over four months they knew that it was ending versus a U.S. television show that you know cast members could leave or something in the real world changes that they have to write in you know somebody gets like pregnant and they have to decide like you know a female (laughs) actress and they have to decide if she's gonna have the baby on the show or they're going to hide the pregnancy. So there's all this different stuff. I've been watching a lot of TV shows where that's popped up lately. So that's like a very relevant thing. And I always wonder, I go search, like, was this pregnancy on the show planned or did the actor playing the character get pregnant and they worked it in? You're so funny. It's a real, well, because I just, we watch these things, but no, nothing exists in a vacuum. And this is one of the, the difficult things that, you know, I have because the community gets so invested in things, they kind of lose sight of the fact that we're still in the real world, whatever that means, and stuff happens. Like, and we'll probably never know the full story of why stuff happens, but, you know, like Ruby Rose leaving Batman after the first season, which is a really strange thing that happened that was like an oh my god thing and then we don't talk about it because 2020 has been just absolutely crazy. (laughs) Um, But to circle back to the whole point of this, this is a novel to me that just happens to be on TV. So they get to close out all of these story arcs the way a television show doesn't because a television show by definition needs to leave things on a cliffhanger to get you to tune into the next season. So they give you a small dose of happy ending to feel mildly good while also opening up a bigger plot point to get you invested in coming back. That's like the whole thing. Absolutely. And then definitely TV shows where I'm just like, wow, after the third season, it really should just have stopped. That should have been Mm -hmm. the end. Okay. Overcoming homophobia. Now this is interesting because it was overcoming internalized homophobia between them and then once they managed to do that then there was overcoming homophobia within your family and your external circles and I think that that's still a relevant topic and I like the fact that coming out wasn't the main kind of thrust of the story I'm so tired of the coming out story 
I like that they took the young approach where these young people are just like, oh, well, this is who I love and I'm okay with that. Because I think that that's much more realistic of young people today. Yeah. I mean, this is a, I know this episode's going to take a while to, to air for some people, but I am on the other side of that camp. I would love diverse stories, but I'm not tired of the coming out story in any way, shape or form. And I know it's a, a bone of contention right now because of the movie Happiest Season, whether that should have been a coming out story or not. But I, I mean, it is a coming out story. And yeah, to your point, like they don't want to put labels on themselves. But I think that that's just to make it as inclusive as possible, kind of to the viewers that love is love because it's a story about soulmates and destiny. The main thrust, though, wasn't them coming out to actually maybe it was no but I see what you're saying like they met and fell in love and you just you have to come out as a byproduct of that right Right. but it was about them falling in love and being confused about their feelings for one another and then dovetailed into the consequences of people finding out about that love or them telling and yeah how you know them being together impacted their relationships with other people but yes i agree it it's a story about them falling in love first and foremost yes which i appreciated because yes there was elements of coming out but it wasn't the the main plot wasn't about you know oh no how am i going to tell my family yeah which now leads us into the queer rep that they actually chose to show in this series now like it or not this is the queer rep that this is the message we got as viewers which is i don't like labels Women tended to judge more harshly than men, judge their relationship. And questioning your sexuality and sleeping with a man was a major theme. It's interesting that they chose to go those routes. I don't think it's bad. I don't think it's good. I just think it's interesting that these are choices that they made. I might disagree with the third point. Okay. Because it happened but it happened within like a 10 episode arc out of 87 episodes I think we felt like it was a big deal but it was just another one of like the bat crazy things that happened on this show or like the intense high stakes drama you know like getting into a fight with your sister at your multi-billion dollar media conglomerate and like running through the house yelling at each other you know that was also a theme everybody getting kidnapped kidnapped by members of the cartel also a theme and like far more relevant because it happened to way more people I think that we're very sensitive to Juliana sleeping with Sergio but I think it was just a thing that happened I'm specifically talking about the queer rep, though. So, yes, Ava and Val fought, and yes, everybody was kidnapped, but it wasn't a specific to the queer representation that they chose to show on the show. And that's what I'm talking about. So, I, just from a personal point of view, the whole I don't like labels thing, I think it reads well from a young point of view, because, the, you know, you are going through that fa- that sort of, not phase, but that... You're going through that space in your life where you need to figure out who you are. So you don't necessarily want to label yourself because you don't want to suddenly be thrust into a situation that you don't feel comfortable in. Cool. 
I also think young people now don't necessarily want to label themselves. Okay. I think, though, that people must realize that the lesbian label isn't terrible. And the stigma around it will only go away if we have more and more positive representation with the word lesbian on it. So just from a personal point of view, I really wish that they hadn't taken that route. I do see why. I understand why. Just from a personal point of view, overcoming the stigma of lesbian or even bisexual woman, it helps to label. Yeah. I agree with all of that. And I was just thinking about like the the last few things I've watched or experienced and how they they kind of showcase that. Actually, not to bring up Happiest Season again, but I've watched it like three or four times in the last week, so it's very relevant. But they say the words, she is a lesbian, and love or hate the movie. I love that because I love that part of it, at least, because they don't necessarily do that in shows. And I don't know, I get it. If you fancy yourself like an artist... And you think you're, you know, like artists are already a little, a little more beyond uh, in the constructs that mainstream has put themselves in, but, or, you know, want to see themselves as more beyond. So I get how it's like, oh, love is love. And, but yes, if you are this thing and you see somebody else living out this experience that you think most closely mirrors your experience and they won't say those words I can get that it could be disappointing the show does an interesting job of closing the doors on the male relationships or interactions that both women had but as a result of them being soulmates with one another not necessarily lesbians I do believe, though, that, like, I mean, you keep bringing up the point in the show, and it's a very valid point, that this whole show happened in a very short period of time, like, time span-wise. It was a couple of weeks. Yeah. In those couple of weeks, you're not going to go from thinking you're a heterosexual woman to thinking you're a lesbian. It just doesn't work that fast. It takes years to get to that point where you're ready to label yourself. So from that perspective, I completely get it. I believe if we'd seen the time span, the two years later... They could have used the label. That's cool. Yeah. I mean, I guess they just need to break up so we can see who they would both date. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. Well, we're talking about what a Huli and Tina movie could look like. I think that's one of the questions we have to go over. It is. It is. It is. Okay. So let's move on. A perfect ending. We both felt that the ending was very rushed. So what would a perfect ending have looked like for them? You know, I'm, look, I know we've spent like 40 episodes talking about all of this, but look, I'm, I'm a simple <laughs> woman. I, I don't need that much, but just a scene between the two of them, even if we would have just gotten that scene that was canon in the deleted scenes that aired in a different country, uh, that and then like a kiss would have been the cherry on top. It's just, you know, it's so frustrating. And I'll be honest, I've done this with books too. Books I've written where you just work so hard on this whole thing and then it just kind of like falls apart at the end or you have to wrap it up too quickly or you're like, you know, I know I'm not 
doing this the emotional justice it deserves, but stuff happens. But as a viewer, and I apologize to all of my readers that I've ever done this to, like, it sucks. You just, yeah, it just like leaves your heart hanging. And I think sometimes it's hard to articulate what exactly is missing. But yeah, this moment of closure and the moment of like, just really feeling like it's all going to be okay and getting that rush. Like you kind of get it when they're standing outside watching Gia and Renata leave. But like, that's a scene about Gia and Renata, and they're just kind of an afterthought in it. So it's just it's annoying that they spent so much time building this beautiful story between them to do it like that. And I just don't know what, who can I talk to? <laughs> Nothing about the experience that they went through is anything that I would change. Even Juliana sleeping with Sergio, even like I'm fine with everything that happened, the whole story arc. But I think that they needed to solidify their togetherness a little bit better at the end after Valentina's big declaration of public love and before we get to see like a little montage of them at the end. They should have gotten married. Oh my god! <laughs> they had known each other for two weeks! No, no, no. Like, you jump forward in time. Wait, listen, you jump forward in time. Okay, so first of all, they get a kiss when EA and Renata is going off and then you zoom in on them and they kiss each other. Right, then two years later and then they kiss each other in the back room there on the at the fashion show. And then we skip forward, like, another two years because, you know, we're lesbians, so it doesn't take us that long to get married. And they are having a beautiful wedding and they kiss each other at their wedding. And that is how I would have ended it because that makes my heart happy. Do you know what flash forward anybody else got? Like Ava was in prison. So if we think about the scale of... No, but Ava's kid was like a couple okay. of years. Ava's kid was two, so they flashed forward two years for... Right. But like, I'm just saying, you know, I don't... So I don't think anybody got two flash forwards. I can live without the fashion show. See, but I think the fashion show is so important. This surprises me, <laughs> Sheena, because here you are. Like, I want a diehard romantic moment versus I can't read contemporary romance anymore because you are forsaking something that oh, is essential wow. to Juliana's growth as a person and finding confidence in herself and figuring out what she wants to do professionally and sharing that with the world. Well, if you're saying I'm not allowed to flash forwards, then of course I'm going to pick the wedding. And just I so said you know, nobody. I didn't say you're not allowed anything in this <laughs> hypothetical scenario. I said that nobody else got two flash forwards. I am a woman, Monica. I am as complicated as the seasons. I'm discovering We that. are just... Women are complicated beasts, and we want what we want, and we like one thing but hate another, and they seem like the same thing, and this is just life. You are with a female partner, you should know these yeah. things. Yeah, man. So much to unpack. Okay. So, perfect editing, wedding. All right. <laughs> Where to from here? Just to clarify again, that is Sheena's answer. That is the definitive answer. 
I mean, you cut this together, so I think the answer is whatever you agree to put in there. They promised us a movie and they promised us a spinoff, but so far we've heard nothing about them. So I really don't think we're going to get either of those, frankly. And I think we need to be sad and have a warning period and then move on and read the recommendations of the books and watch the movies that we're about to recommend for you. I'm so sorry to say this for everybody that has up until this point liked me um, and liked the job that I've done here, but I am completely fine with no spinoff and no movie. I don't know. There's some things where I'm just like, give me the content and I don't care if it's subpar or thrown together because I just want more but in the case of this story, because it's not a TV show, you know, I would mostly want that if it's a TV show that gets abruptly canceled or if there's more that I like thought that they could do. But this is a fully fleshed out, encompassing, wrapped up neatly with a bow story. I don't want them to introduce a new level of drama or angst to tear them apart to bring them back together. See, I agree with that. I do. Why do you say it like it pains you? Because it does pain me to say that. Because I would, my heart, my my Sheena, Jules and Val loving heart wants to see more stuff from them. Right. But I agree that I don't actually want to see them broken up for the sake of whatever it is. I don't think, so I don't want like a spinoff for sure. That's too much. And yeah, I don't know that a movie after 87 episodes and like 15 or 16 hours of content, like a movie could never do justice the way like that made us feel over that span of time, especially, you know, watching it live and like waiting every day. So I don't know, like people want what they want. And if people want to rally for a movie or a TV show, I just I don't think that it will go the way people want it to go. The only like really cool when this was all happening, somebody posted about an idea where they end up like going through the past selves of like the incarnations of them that have fallen in love. And it has something to do with that. So they're together and fighting this kind of other issue like that I could be more involved in. But I don't know that it would, like, you know, have the best special effects. So I also don't think that would might, like, look very good if you do something that relies more heavily on the, the magical or the supernatural? What do we call it? Yeah, either of those work. Can you hear the thunder? No, I don't. It is roaring here. Can't hear anything over the sound of my own voice, so that, that all tracks. <laughs> I mean, the past life thing could be cool, but it would have to be done well. Yeah. And I agree that two hours won't do it justice when we've just watched 20 hours of them. I also have this problem with books. It's rare that I will read a series that follows a couple over the series. Like, it's very, very rare. I want my standalone, happy ever after, hit of serotonin, boom, on to the next one. The one, and it's not quite the same, but exception is when Haley Cass published Those Who Wait, she had a bunch of stuff that had never made it into the book that then she published 
as like a standalone story after, which was like still 40 or 50,000 words because she's insane. But it was exactly what I wanted. It was exactly what you want. It was a montage of their life together like after the book ends and that was perfect there was no new like story it was just a continuation like that is the follow-up that I never knew I always wanted so if they just did you know if Huli and Tina wanted to do like a montage of them over the years I could be on board with that it's a sad thing that we're coming to the end here but we're going to recommend things that I think are similar enough that if you enjoy this show, you can go on and you can read these and you can watch these and sort of you'll probably enjoy them too. My first recommendation is The Floor and I Designed by Monica, who's sitting, you know, across the world from me right now. But I actually think if you enjoy the characters, Jules and Val, you will enjoy this book because the characters are super similar. Their relationship is very similar. One of them similar. is named Val. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Their relationships are also very similar. There's mega chemistry which I felt was like a key to the Julian Tina sort of thing definitely go and look the link is in the show notes to our review for it my next book is The Road to Madison Val Spencer now Monica's actually going to disagree with me because she doesn't like this book as much as I do but there's a lot of drama in it they start off quite young when they fall for each other there's uh, they break up, there's toing and froing, there's a rich girl, poor girl elements to it. I actually think you'll probably like this book if you like those aspects of Juliantina. Yeah, also, El Spencer, if you hear this, I love you. This just is not my favorite book by you because my favorite book is Casting Lacey. Okay, but don't make it sound like I don't love El Spencer because I do. But yes, you're right. And I would say to your point, Another book recommendation, I think in the same vein, is Strawberry Summer by Melissa Braden. Very much like destined to be together. Yeah, because they don't ever, I think because Juliantina takes place over such a short period of time, it lives within a realm of books that I don't tend to really like. I like people that fall in, I don't like insta-love. I like people that fall in love over a longer period. But because there's so much content, you really get to feel it and understand it and it makes perfect sense to you. So I think that, you know, a lot of books, people would kind of get that same feeling if they were like second chance romances where characters meet when they're a little bit younger and fall head over heels but then some circumstance pulls them apart and they reunite years later a little bit more mature so that's I think in a book standpoint what this does so Poppy Jenkins by Claire Ashton could be another example that would do this for you actually it's a that is a good rig for this yes yeah I just needed to get the wheel spinning so I could think about like a framework to approach this but yeah a lot of a lot of second chance romances will kind of have that same vibe and Back to the Start is another of my second chance romances. I love second chance romances. As a reader and a writer, I think if I could just live within those and do them like all the time without them getting stale, I would absolutely love that. The next medium we're going to move on to is movies. Movies are harder to recommend because this is such a very specific thing, but I'm going to say Saving Face. And the reason I'm going to recommend Saving Face is because it's such a sweet and really cultural story. That was going to be mine too. 
It's my favorite movie. It's it's a beautiful movie. It's fantastic. I've watched this movie over and over and over again. So I do believe if you like Julian Tiller, you'll enjoy Saving Face. Yeah. I am still shocked when I meet people who say, and this isn't like a dig because I know that there are so many things that I haven't seen or watched, but when people say that they love lesbian movies or lesbian media and they've never watched Saving Face because it is truly the best example of like a lesbian romance played out on TV in a well-produced, well-acted, you know, legitimate film. And very smart, very well done. It's got a high production quality as well, like which I really appreciate. <laughs> and a really good script. Well, yeah, and it's it's made by Alice Wu, who then went on to make the half of it. Right, which is an interesting film, but definitely does not fulfill the bull on the romance wreck if we're looking at things that you'll love if you love Julian Tita. I don't have any more recommendations because this is such a hard niche to recommend for. Do you have anything else you want to add? No, and, you know, I think that this is... This is a conversation that keeps coming up, and if anybody's keeping track, this is the third time I'm going to mention Happiest Season in this podcast, uh, unless one of them gets cut. But there is such a jump between the quality of lesbic books and the quality of TV shows with ensemble casts that have a lesbian subplot or lesbian character to movies starring two women that are in love with each other, whether they're lesbians or something, you know, bisexual, don't want to label themselves. It's just like freaking night and day. And I think the writing's on the wall there, right? Like movies are so much more expensive to shoot. Somebody has to front the initial costs, hoping that they're going to recoup their money. It all comes down to, I think, you know, money and wondering who's going to pay for this and who's going to watch it. So either you get a movie finally made and everybody's tearing it apart because they haven't had representation in so long and they wished it were something else now that they've gotten it or very low budget but heartfelt independent films like City of Trees, the one that I just reviewed for the Lesbian Review. Great movie, but definitely doesn't have like the shiny quality of a mainstream release, but has a lot of heart. Was You know, I watched it exactly like you would read a romance novel. It hit all of those notes. So I loved it because you don't usually get to see it on screen, but it's just, yeah. This is sadly why we don't review a lot of them. Also, I don't have access to a lot of them. Mm -hmm. Living in South Africa means I don't have access to things like Amazon Prime. I don't have access to Hulu. I don't have access to pretty much anything other than Netflix. So it's really difficult for me to actually gain access to to the, the, the stuff, which really breaks my heart. So, Yeah, it's a lack of access really does matter you can get saving face though right because you've seen it i own saving face i actually okay. built a dvd yeah and there's i'm i'm now thinking i'm running through like my rolodex of lesbian films so there's a really really good lesbian film but it doesn't have a happy ending so but it's very much to like young girls who fall in love called circumstance and they're 
Middle Eastern, and I think it's subtitled. Yeah, I don't think it's in English. Sometimes I forget. Like, if the movie's that good, I don't even know if it's in in English or not. I just know what I felt. Um, and it's a really, really good movie. And one of the main characters goes on to play uh, the queer love interest in The Bold Type, which completely spiraled. But I don't even know if in real life she's queer or not, but she's, you know, a huge proponent of queer roles and supporting queer characters. And I think that that's good. That's, that's a wrap for the first season of Lesbians on Screen. Monica, thank you so much for joining me for all these epic conversations. Yeah. Oh, man. It's been a whirlwind. I don't, I, we've talked about this before, neither of us expected for it to go on as long as it did, but we just had a lot to say. But yeah, oh man, this was fun. Thank you. Thank you. You're listening to Lesbians on Screen. I'm Sheena and I'm joined today by author Monica McKellen. Monica, can you tell listeners where they can find you online? Very socially active online, uh, just depends on what channel. Uh, so Twitter is my jam if you want to communicate with me and have the best probability that I will communicate back so it's at Monica McCallan and that's on Twitter I do have a Facebook fan page and I have a website www.monicamccallan.com but for sure if you're looking to hang out and engage and chat about stuff Twitter is where you can find me thank you for listening to Lesbians on Screen a podcast that delves into the world of queer women on big and small screens Join us next week as we continue discussing the global phenomenon that is Julian Tina. If you love this podcast, then rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts and help other fans find us.